Her name was Mary. She grew up in a small fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Her family business, we're not sure exactly what it was, probably fishing. That's what most of the families in that village did. But for Mary, something more took place in her life. She was the oldest daughter. To our knowledge, she never married. And as a result, she ended up being the matriarch of the family. She ended up taking over the family business. And in taking over the family business, she, she got all the pressures that went with it. Because you know, it's one thing to, to be in business for yourself, but it's another thing to be in business for your family, with your family. And to know that your family's sustenance, your family's livelihood now depends on you and the decisions that are there. Along the way, those pressures began to build, and, and as she tried to deal with the different pressures of life, something began to snap inside of her. It didn't all happen at once. It kind of layered, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, uh, so much so that, that she became a, a different person. She, she became possessed, if you would, with at least seven different layers of stuff. Some people would call them demons. Other people would call them pressures and oppression. It really doesn't matter what you call them. They, they all have the same effect. They, they take someone who is, who is birthed, who is born, who is created to live in the image of God, and they shove them down, and they shove them away from God. And while she's dealing with that and dealing with the pressures and dealing with all the things that come with being a, a, a matriarchal woman in a patriarchal society, taking care of her family, suddenly she hears about this teacher He's a different kind of teacher. He, he didn't go to the traditional rabbinical schools. He, he didn't have the traditional processes of becoming a, a rabbi, if you would. And yet hundreds, sometimes thousands of people were following him. And, and somehow he had become this new voice for what God was at work doing in her nation. Uh, along the way, she learned that his father was a carpenter he was from a little town called Nazareth, not far from Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, but just far enough to be different. And so she, she is trying to figure out who, who this guy is when suddenly he, he comes near her town, near Magdala. And so he, he's speaking. People are coming and she hears that the people are being delivered. She hears that the people who are living with the same kind of pressure she's living with are suddenly finding freedom. They're finding health. They're finding wholeness. And we're not sure exactly when and we're not sure exactly how, but somehow she found where Jesus was. And Mary from Magdala found her way into the presence of Jesus. What we know for certain is that for the rest of her life, she was changed by that encounter. What we know for certain is that those layers of things, the, the seven different demons, the seven different oppressions, the, the, the multitude of stuff on top of her, suddenly it is released and she's made whole. She's so, she's so grateful. She's so overwhelmed by his presence, so amazed at, at what he's done in her life that, that she continues to follow him we first encounter her in, in Luke chapter 8. Her story begins for us there in, in the gospel. 
It's where Luke describes this group of people, this group of women who followed Jesus and the disciples. And they were all women of wealth, women of means, women of resources. And what they did for Jesus and his ministry and his disciples was they funded that ministry. They provided the money when Jesus said, hey, we need to give money to these people who are hungry over here. It was Mary from Magdala and her friends who had the resources, the money. <laughs> Come on, James, John, Peter, they, they left their fishing businesses, right? <laughs> They're following this Nazarene itinerant teacher. But no, Mary from Magdala and the other women who were a part of her band, they followed with Jesus and they made sure that, that the money was there when, when Jesus needed to meet the needs of people. We don't know much about her story in the in-between time except for this. Between that moment when Jesus set her free and the moment that we meet her again, we discover that Mary followed Jesus everywhere he went. And she was so supportive. This Mary from Magdala. Because Jesus had done something in her life. She was there with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. She was there with Jesus when he sat in Lazarus' home with, with Lazarus' sister Mary and Lazarus' sister Martha. She was there with Jesus when he came into Jerusalem on that first day of the week after the Sabbath before the Passover. She, she was there with Jesus when he was in the temple. She was, she was there with Jesus when he was arguing with the Pharisees, or rather, the Pharisees were arguing with him. She was there with Jesus in that upper room on the night before he was crucified. She was there with Jesus when, when the people came, the guards came to take Jesus away. She was there with Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. This Mary from Magdala, she was there every time Jesus needed her. She was right there, faithful, devoted, and she was there when he died. When Joseph of Arimathea showed up to, to offer his tomb in a garden that he had already prepared for himself, she was there. She helped take the body down. She helped put the body in the, in the tomb. And it was this Mary, this same Mary from the fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee who got up on the morning after the Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath, and she, she went to the tomb. And she knew exactly where she was going. I mean, she'd been there, right? She helped put the body in the tomb. This isn't like someone who's like, oh, I, I need GPS to find where I'm going. No, no, she, she knew exactly where she was going. And when she arrived at Joseph of Arimathea's tomb where Jesus' body had been laid just a couple of three days earlier, she sees something from a distance. When she shows up, she looks and she sees and that stone, that massive stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb the one that had been surrounded by Roman guards, the one that had been sealed up so that no one could tamper because the rumor was that the disciples were gonna steal his body and, and pretend that he has been resurrected because Jesus had said, in three days, I will resurrect this body. That stone is rolled away. 
That stone is not in front of the tomb. She can see that from where she's at. She's not mistaken about it. She knows there's something wrong here. This isn't like we left it the other night. And so she turns and she runs as fast as she can to find Peter and John. You'll find the story in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. John writes about it. John, John, the eyewitness to the events. John, the only disciple who stayed at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying. Sometimes I have people say to me, hey, pastor, how do you know the Easter story is true? Because people who were there wrote it down and shared it with their children and their children's children and their children's children. And sometimes I have people say, well, how do you know to trust the Bible? Can I tell you something? There is no other book in all of humanity that has ever been written that had so many witnesses. There's never been another book that's had so much research done on it. There's never been another book that's been put together in such a way that by the words contained on the pages, lives can be changed. And and Mary, Mary from Magdala, Mary who showed up at the tomb before any of the disciples, before anybody else, and she sees the stone rolled away. She runs to Peter and to John. John writes the story for us so that we know. And John and Peter follow her, only they don't really follow her because, I mean, after all, they're men, right? They're just gonna push past the woman and go where they wanna go. And as they are doing it, John gets there first. I love that. I love that fact. John's like, I'm faster than Peter. I'm going to write that down in the book. And here comes Peter rolling in. Bam. Typical Peter. Right on past John. And they look in. And here's the part of the story, the, the part of the story that never ceases to amaze me. This is Peter. He walked on water. This is John. He and his brother saw Jesus do amazing things. These men were the inner circle. They were the ones closest to Jesus, even closer than Mary from Magdala. And what do they do when they see an empty tomb and grave clothes lying there? According to all the gospel writers, you know what they do? They go home. They go home. They go back to where they were staying. They don't see Jesus yet. They, they don't tell anybody it's empty. They just go home. But, but, but Mary, Mary from Magdala, she, she is so, so overcome with her, with her pain. This is, this is the grave. She was trying to do something good for the man who had helped her find wholeness in her life. She, she, she had tried to do everything she could to, to make his world right, to live by his teachings. And now, and now the grave is empty, but she doesn't comprehend. She doesn't connect the dots. She might remember the words, but she doesn't understand their meaning. And she's standing there in, in that graveyard next to an empty tomb crying. Some of you are wondering, Pastor, why, why are you talking about Mary from Magdala on Easter Sunday? Because I think there is no greater story for the church on Easter of 2022 than this story. 
Because I think for the church, if we're really honest, out of the last two years, we, we, we have watched the world shift. We have watched the world change. Sometimes as the institutional church, we've been a part of the change and a part of the shift. And other times we've missed it completely. But the fact of the matter is, the grave is still empty and many of us don't understand. Almost many of you know the what. We, we know the what took place, right? We've understood the history and all of that. We, we know the, what the church says, but we don't understand why. We don't understand why this story is so important for our lives. And it was Mary, Mary from Magdala, who owned the business and funded the ministry. Mary of Magdala, who helped care for the body. Mary of Magdala, who showed up before anybody else to make sure that Jesus' body was taken care of. It was Mary from Magdala who stood in the garden when John and Peter and the other disciples went home. Oh, my friends, please. If there's ever been a time in the history of the church, in the history of the people of God, at work in the kingdom of God, when we need to not go home, it's now. It's time for us to lay aside the history, lay aside the ritual, lay aside all of the burden, all the stuff that we've brought with us over these years, the human things we've added on, and go back to the garden and stand in the garden and cry. Because we've lived with pain. We've lived with loss. We've seen the death. As many of you, I would dare say most of you, have a friend, a colleague, a coworker, somebody who's been impacted by this virus that has run rampant across the world for two years. And on the Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, it's imperative upon the church that we stand and we weep outside an empty tomb until we understand not just what happened, but why it happened. Because my friends, the world around us is weeping because there's a war. Oh, not just the war in Ukraine, but that war too. There's a war for the soul of humanity. There's a war for the people Jesus died to save. And so while many choose to go back to the places from which they've always come, while many choose to go back home like Peter and John and the other disciples, someone has to stand and someone has to cry because the story of Easter, the story of Easter allows us to see the conflict between life and death. Listen as I read for you from John's gospel, the 20th chapter. I'll start reading at verse 11 after, after the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Friends, whether you're with us on campus or with us online or watching us later this week on demand, what I want you to know is this, the story of Easter is truth. Truth. 
And the story of Easter is the story of a God who loves you, is for you, is not against you. But it's also the story of a God who works in this miraculous way to bring victory over sin and death and hell. And it's the story of a God who lets you stand in the garden and weep. I love that question. Why are you weeping? Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Do do you, anybody else catch it that when Peter and John stooped in the tomb, John doesn't write anything about two guys dressed in white? (laughs) could Could it be? Could it be the angels were there already, but Peter and John were so busy with their agenda and their question that they failed to see him? Could it be that it's only when you cry the tears of one who's lived in the pain and the loss of death that you can actually see the angels of God? Could could it be that only when you acknowledge your humanity, only when you acknowledge your pain, only when you you literally stand in the midst of the pain that God begins to show you what he's gonna do out of it? Because for Mary, when they looked at her and said, why are you weeping? She's like, because they took my Savior's body. I was just here. We put it in here. I watched him seal it up. He was dead. I knew he was dead. Because I knew him when he was alive. And he was definitely not alive. They've taken him away. This Easter, I want you to know the God that you think has been taken away from you has never left your side. I want you to know in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your questions, the God you think has been taken away from you, the God of the universe, the creator of everything you've ever experienced, the one who made you in his own image, the one who breathed life into you, he has never left you and no one can take him away. Paul would say it to us like this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But when we, when we really understand Easter, we understand that Easter allows us to see the emptiness of a tomb as potential for life rather than loss. When, 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 when we really see when we really understand why Jesus died on the cross, why Jesus was resurrected on the third day, that it's not just a what question, what happened, but it's a why question. Why are you weeping? When we really understand why Jesus did this for us, we begin to understand that when we stand in the midst of our pain and are honest with our pain, then the purpose of the resurrection becomes clear because the purpose of the resurrection is the potential for life where there used to be loss. And right now, there's never been a greater opportunity for the people of God in the kingdom of God to impact the world that denies God than to be the people who in the midst of our weeping, in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of the death around us, we discover that Jesus is here right now with us. For Mary, it happened like this. 
Having said this, I love this phrase, she turned around. You see, that's what's gotta happen for a lot of us. In the midst of our pain, we have to turn around. And she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. <laughs> see, that's the reality. Jesus has never left you. Jesus has never forsaken you. Jesus will not go away. The God of the universe has not forgotten you. He knows you by name. But because you have been so focused on your loss, because you've been so focused on the grief, because you've been so focused on what you can explain, like Mary, you're trying to explain the inexplainable with explainable things. And she doesn't even realize that the answer to her question is right there. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I don't care if you're male or female today. I want you to know the question's the same for you. Why are you weeping? Man, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you missing the reality that in the emptiness of your loss, there's the potential for life because the God who knows you, the God who loves you, was resurrected on the first Easter. And every day since, not just on Easter, every day since, he's been at work showing up in your life, loving you, offering you new life, offering to free you the same way he freed Mary from Magdala, but then asking you, do you know that I'm here with you? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And because she was so overwhelmed by the pain, she supposes him to be the gardener. And she says to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take his body away. She puts a human answer on a divine situation because there was no body to take away. But that's the only way she could conceive of it. And she looks and she says, look, I don't know who you are. I think you're the gardener. Did you ever get, I mean, come on. We call him the gardener, John does, right? This, this is the, you know what his job was? This was the guy who worked in the graveyard. Some of you got nervous right there. He worked in the graveyard. His job was to make sure that, you know, all of the tombstones were taken care of. His job was to cut the grass. His job was to make sure nobody put the plastic flowers where they shouldn't put the plastic flowers. John's very polite, calls him the gardener. No, no, he was responsible for making sure everything, that's who she thinks she's talking to. But she's talking to Jesus. But she doesn't know she's talking to Jesus. And so she tries to give a human explanation for the inexplainable action of God. And that's just exactly what some of us have been doing for the last couple of years, or maybe the last couple of lifetimes, trying to explain the inexplainable action of God. But Easter, the Easter story, the Easter reality allows us to, to encounter the presence of Jesus as the power to give life in the midst of your pain. See, we, we want Jesus to take us out of the pain. 
We want to we create an, an option. We want to create a way of looking. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you got to understand. I, you're going to stand there and you're going to weep. And I'm going to look at you and say, you know what? You're weeping because you don't see what I'm about. You're trying to explain it humanly. See, the why for the Easter story, the answer to the why are we weeping, is because we failed to see the presence of God at work in our life. But the story of Easter, the story of Jesus, the story of Mary from Magdala, and yes, even the story of Peter and John is the story of the God who is present with us. Because after she asked the question, Jesus says one thing, one word, Mary. I love that part of the story. Mary. See, I grew up with two brothers. My name is Kerry Brent Robinson. My younger brother's name is Kevin Bruce Robinson. My youngest brother's name is Kelly Brian Robinson. My mother got stuck on K's and B's. And what she would do is, whenever, whenever she wanted to address one of us, she would start, I'm the oldest, so she would start with me. Kerry Brent. And then it would be, Kerry, Kevin, Kelly. She would always, Kerry, Kevin, Kelly. And then she'd call the name of the one she really wanted, right? So like my brother Kelly, who's like eight years younger than me, would do something. But my name would get called. Kerry, Kevin, Kelly, I mean Kelly. Even to the day she died in the nursing home, there were moments where, you know, other people are saying, oh, her dementia's so bad. No, that's just the way she talked to us, all right? <laughs> Kerry, Kevin, Kelly. Whichever one of us she really wanted. But I have to tell you, when she added the middle name, yeah, y'all had a mama like that too, didn't you? When she said, Carrie Brent Robinson, it was stand and salute time, folks. I'm just telling you right now. You knew you were busted when the middle name showed up. But Jesus knows you so well, he doesn't even have to use your middle name. He didn't say Mary of Magdala. No, he said Mary. Mary. Listen, he does that to you too. He knows your name too. He says your name the same way he said Mary's name. Mary, she turned and immediately she knew him. Immediately she recognized him. And in Aramaic she responds, teacher or rabboni, rabbi. And Jesus says, do not cling to me. For I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, Mary is often known, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. She's often referred to by historians as the apostle to the apostles. You know why? Not because of all those crazy rumors you've read in, in those books about uh, the, the, that Mary was the wife of Jesus. That, that, that's just speculation. That's just, to be honest with you, it's historical garbage, all right? but it makes great fiction and good movies, right? You've, you've seen the Da Vinci Code. I know who's out there. You're looking, you're looking a little, eh, and, no, no, trust me on this, okay? Not the wife of Jesus, okay? You've, some, of, some of you've been to college. Somebody introduced you to the Gnostic Gospels and you've, you've heard that, you know, she was Jesus' girlfriend. No, she wasn't. She was Mary from Magdala. And Mary from Magdala knew, you knew she knew the calling of Jesus' voice, the sound of his voice when he called her by name. And you've got to know, 
He knows you by name. And they call her the apostle to the apostles. You know why? Because the very first person to ever proclaim that Jesus was alive and that the tomb was not empty because someone stole the body was Mary. And Mary went back. Mary from Magdala. She went, she found John. She found Peter. She found Matthew. She found all the other disciples. And she said to them, hey, listen, Jesus is alive. How do you know? I spoke to him. He called me by name. And he told me to tell you that he's going to be with your father and our father. That he's going to be with his father and our father. He's going to be with the God who created us all. Because you see, when he calls you by name, something shifts inside of you. And that's why Easter is so important. Because it allows us to experience the renewal of a relationship with God. And that's why in that relationship, Mary, now absolutely convinced that Jesus was alive, runs to Peter and John and says, I've seen the Lord and told them what he had said to her.